70 or 60. On this occasion it was 50. And I don't know if I noticed it was flashing 50 or not, but it was saying 50. And um, I wasn't doing 50. I was doing 60. And the cameras didn't like that. So they, um, they recorded that fact and kindly let me know. I got a letter. So kind. Isn't that yeah. kind? So kindly, they sent me a letter in the post saying, Dear Mr. Cox, um, it, it said 50, by the way. And so, would you please like to accept three points and £100 fine? Um, or uh, would you prefer to come to a speed awareness course? So I said, I would prefer to go to a speed awareness course. <laughs> who wouldn't? Uh, who wouldn't? Even though it didn't cost £85.
in the next life, but also some of what the rewards will be here uh, uh, while we're still here on this earth. It's an implementation of the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 61 that Jesus reads out in Luke chapter 4 that we read before, studied before, where Jesus talks about how he's come to bring good news to the poor, freedom for the prisons, and that kind of thing. What does that mean? What does that look like in the life of a follower of Jesus and the lives of the community of faith? What does that actually mean? And this is Jesus giving this context here. And so he's given the blessings, and uh, another word for the blessings could be lucky, another word could be like saying congratulations. It's a bit like that. Congratulations if you're poor. Congratulations if you're hungry. Congratulations if you're weeping. Congratulations when you're persecuted. And we say, eh, that's not, I don't want to be congratulated for, for those things. Those, those don't sound so good. But Jesus is pointing out that there will be uh, times when we'll get what we need, even though times can be difficult. And he says that to his disciples. And then I think perhaps at this point, when he gets to the woes, he not only is addressing the disciples, but maybe he's raising his eyes to the larger crowd, because there is a big crowd there, lifting his eyes and speaking to them, and using this word that's translated woe, uh, uai in the Greek, woe, he says. Now woe, uh, what comes to your mind when we think about woes? Let me ask you, what is that woe, what is that word, the woe word, conjure up in your mind? Troubles? Doom. Doom. Mm. Death. I'm sorry? Death. Death? Mm. I think we'll keep that. Uh oh. Uh oh. I've got to go and tell. You've got to go and tell something. You can't go and tell. Go and tell something. Some bad. Bring some bad news. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, go slower on the M25. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or woe is you. Yes. Whoa. It's not generally a very positive word, but in the, I mean, in the Greek, translated obviously here from Jesus speaking in Aramaic or, and, or Hebrew, the word is more like alas, or how terrible. It's more like that. It's an expression of regret, and as such, in some ways, is an expression of compassion. Oh dear. Jesus is doing here. He's not doing this. Sometimes with the Pharisees, he's a lot more direct, right? But here it's with the crowds, and I think it's a more general sense, rather than a, woe is you, you terrible people. It's not that. I think it's a, look, I, I really want to warn you about something here. Because if you don't pay attention, take this seriously, there's going to be bigger trouble ahead. But I love you, and I really want to, to warn you of these things, so that you can avoid kind of faith you would really like to avoid. It's that kind of compassionate thing. And we really need warnings from time to time. We need expressions of regret from people around us who care about us. Um, I found this uh, proverb. Um, it's a... Can anybody read that in the original language? It's... it's yeah, it's, it's a, one of those languages. The... Have you said that the, 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 the
to happen, but apparently that's the case. So they, they cry when they're trapped. So this is a warning about not getting trapped in, in bad circumstances, or you will cry with one eye, like a monkey. <laughs> There's your warning. All right? I think I'll use this. Uh, you good? get out of your chair. <laughs> <laughs> Churchill, just after the end of the, uh, the Second World War, uh, and this, this is a, a, you know, this is typical Churchill. Woe betide the leaders now perched on their dizzy pinnacles of triumph if they cast away at the conference table what the soldiers had won on a hundred blood-soaked battlefields. Like, this is an, like the end of the war, this is an incredible opportunity to make peace that will last. Woe betide us. Mess this up. And there's sometimes that sense of important decisions need to be made. And we need to take them seriously and think about them clearly about what would be a good outcome and a bad outcome of our decisions. And I think this is basically what Jesus is doing here. Let's get into this passage in a bit more detail and uh, see what relevance we might find for ourselves. Let's talk about the rich, the well fed, and the laughing. The rich, the well fed, and the laughing. I don't know about you, but if my parents had said, make the right choices, son, and you'll be rich, well fed, and laughing the rest of your life, I think that's great. <laughs> tell me, tell me how to do that. And get rich, well fed, and laughing. That sounds like a brilliant uh, life's mission, really, doesn't it? Um, what does it look like? He talks about the rich here, the well fed, and the those who laugh. The rich and the comfortable. Uh, God gives us comfort, doesn't he? Right. In Second Corinthians chapter one, we find. Maybe I'll just turn over there. You can if you want to. Second Corinthians. Chapter 1, one of my favorite passages in verse 3 and following, where God, Paul talks about God's comfort. There is a good sign of comfort. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So there is a comfort that comes from God. This is not the kind of comfort Jesus is talking about here. Why? Because in the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is talking about the comfort that came to him from God because of the way he was living his life for God that caused so much trouble. He talks about how they, um, let me read a little bit more here about their sufferings. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So this is about God, about Paul and his companions <coughs> um, uh, living such a life that they're in peril because of serving God. Rather than, and then God gives them the comfort, rather than people seeking to be comfortable. <coughs> seeking to be comfortable in life is um, rather a dangerous position to be in, I would suggest. In Luke 16, we have the scene of, later on in the Gospel of Luke, of the story that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man was comfortable in life, and Lazarus, <coughs> let's just say, was not.
says that Lazarus is taken to be with Abraham and the rich man is in torment. Okay. So the rich man is in uh, comfort with Abraham but Lazarus is not. And Luke 16.25 says, Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, this is towards the, uh, the rich man, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. He is comforted here, you are in agony. So God brings the comfort. We don't, we don't look to be comfortable ourselves. It doesn't work that way. We're going to have a real and vital and living relationship with God. Prosperity too often comes with an inner emptiness. How did the rich man feel while he was alive? He felt comfortable. But that unfortunately led him to having no heart for God and no compassion for other people. He was comfortable, but he was not ultimately going to be comforted. It's important that we live our lives in such a way that we're looking for God to bring us the comfort rather than comfort ourselves. The well-fed and the hungry here Woe to you who are well fed, for you will be hungry. You that are full. Um, the way that it is written in the Greek indicates that this is a continual state, the well fed. They're well fed as in they always feel well fed. They never feel hungry. It's not like they, they're well fed after a nice meal, then they're hungry a lot of the rest of the time. These are people who are well fed continuously. There's never any hunger. Let me ask you this. What are the benefits of feeling hungry? What are the benefits? actually being or feeling hungry. It makes me faster. What's that? It makes me faster at work. It makes you faster at work. If you're you hungry, you move faster. I move faster. Yeah? Okay. You appreciate it when you eventually get it. You do appreciate it when you eventually get the food. It's, it tastes better, doesn't it? Focuses the mind. Makes you motivated. Keeps you motivated. Makes you motivated. Watching uh, Penny and I watched the series War and Peace. Mm -hmm. you know, you, many of you saw that. And in the penultimate episode or the last episode, oh, I don't want to give it away if any of you are going to watch it on iPlayer. I'll try not to give any, no, I won't give any major plot points away at all. But um, there's a scene where one of the characters, I forgot the chap's name, but he's, he's very, he, he was a prince, but now he's a prisoner of war. And, uh, and he's, he's got no food, and he's desperately hungry, and a, and a fellow who's there, another prisoner with him, shares a potato with him. A potato, they break it in half. And, and as he's about, as the, as the prince that's a prisoner is about to eat it, the chap pulls out of his pouch a little bit of salt. He happens to have some salt, and he sprinkles it on the, on the prince's bit of potato. And, it's a, and they're in decrepit you know, conditions in a dungeon. And it's just a horrible, disgusting-looking piece of potato. But he's pretty, and, he, and, he, and he starts, he goes to eat it. And, and then the, his fellow prisoner says, no prince, no, no master. And just savour it. And so he takes a very small piece. Puts it slowly into his mouth. Begins to chew. Actually, my mouth is now feeling like it's got food in it. <laughs> as I can remember the scene. And, um, and, and he... And he delights in this disgusting small piece of potato. Later, he's restored to his position as a prince, and, and he uh, is about to eat his first meal, and now it's, 
he's got some potato, but it's a nice potato, and he's got some meat, and he's got some vegetables. And he sits down, he brings, takes up his knife and fork, and about to digs him, and is about to stick the first forkful in his mouth. And then he stops, and he puts it down, and he cuts it up more carefully, and takes a small piece of the potato. And again, this time again, slowly puts it in. He wants to remember the value of food. He wants to remember the value of what that man gave him. The small things are often so much more precious than the big things. Hunger can really help us, though none of us probably desire to be hungry, but it can really help us to understand what's most important in life. And when we're well fed all the time, we don't understand what's really important. The laughing and the weeping. Most of you who laugh now, you will mourn and weep. Uh, this is not a deep sense of joy. This is a shallow, what one person described as a shallow merriment. A shallow merriment. I like that phrase. A shallow merriment. It's great to laugh. Penny took me out last night. Uh, she bought for my birthday tickets to see a comedian called Barry Cryer. He's 80 years old and he's worked with everybody in the industry. Um, from Morgan and Wise to Tommy Cooper to other characters that some of us will know. He's been in the industry forever. And it was fun to go and, and see him last night. And he lives in Hatch End. And, we went, and the, the event was in Hatch End. He's a local resident. <clears throat> and he was there with a pianist called Colin Sell who taught Becky music at university. Who knows, she knows him. And uh, they were doing this show. And it was great. And we laughed uh, for about an hour. Uh, Two hours or so, we had great fun laughing at his jokes and his stories about people he knew and about Hatch End and about his life, and it was great. And it was so much fun. And I really enjoyed it, and I'm so, so grateful Penny bought those tickets for me. Long, I, I met him twice in the pub in Hatch End. You know, we used to go to the, um, down again, to uh, the Moon Sixpence, Moon, Moon Sixpence, or Moon, or something like that down in Hatch End. We used to drink down there. That's Barry Price local. And I met him twice down there before, yeah. So, uh, anyway. So, it was great to laugh and have a good time, but does a couple of hours of laughter mean that I have joy today? It, it, it's not the sort of thing that affects us deeply, spiritually, in terms of joy. Great while it lasts, but it's a shallow merriment, at least in that sense. The word here in the Greek is galeo, or galeo which means uh, really a laugh in a negative sense. So when he says that they woe to you will laugh now, it's not about the ha-ha-ha laugh or a joke. It's actually a mocking laugh. So he's really referring to the people who mock at God and mock at Jesus himself and will mock at his disciples. They're like, you're nobody. Who are you? You're just fishermen. You're a tax collector. You're not a proper rabbi. Ha-ha-ha-ha, that kind of mocking laugh is what he's talking about here. It's the same word used in Luke 8 when the people laughed at Jesus when he said about Jairus' daughter, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laugh at him. And it's the laughing, it's the kind of mocking laughter that de denies miracles, denies the power of God, that says this is not good, this is not important. Woe to you who laugh like that, who mock, who are cynical about spiritual things and about God. You will mourn and weep. Cynicism will see no miracles. So, let's summarize this. To those who are rich, to those who are well-fed, to those who mock, and those who are well-spoken of in the next verse, who 
who are unaware of their own needs and other people's needs, they will not have the compassion in the heart of Jesus and the heart and the compassion of God. People who are satisfied continuously probably assume everybody else is satisfied. They can't have a connection with the people who have the hunger, who are in need. We need things in our lives that either we bring purposefully into our lives or we allow God to bring into our lives that, that create that, a sense of hunger and need. I shared with the, the group here um, a few weeks ago about my connection with my growing connection with a charity called New Hope, and how I'm getting ready to be a, uh, like a befriender to people who are recovering from drug and alcohol uh, issues in their lives, and I shared with you how uncomfortable I felt about uh, meeting people from that background because I don't understand it. And one of the things that they sent me was a link on email to an educational uh, module, an online education module about alcohol and drug addiction, uh, run by a company that, uh, and they said, please do this module online because it will help get you ready to, to do this. And so this last week I spent some time going through this on your online module. And it's all about alcohol and drugs and the effect it has on your body and so on. And I thought, I know I don't know everything, but I think I know a fair bit about this stuff. I'm married to a GP, she knows all about that, you know, I've, I've, I've lived a few years, I, I know quite a lot of people who have these issues, including some very close to me and my own family. So I think I know a fair bit. Boy, was I, was I ignorant. I went through this module, and I, I did a, they do quizzes part of the way along, and I was getting two out of ten, and one out of ten, and three out of ten, and correct about what are these drugs, and what are they called, what are their nicknames, what effects do they have, and the different drugs having different effects, and alcohol having, and I, I thought, I, I really know nothing. And I'm really glad, I, it was humbling, but I'm really glad <clears throat> that I didn't think, because... It reminded me of how much I need to learn and how much I don't know if I'm going to really be able to help people. And I need to learn. And I think it's an important thing for us to feel like we're always learning. Is God able to teach us what we need to learn? Are we open to God teaching us what we need? That we need to be people who are willing to take risks for God. To trust Him when it doesn't seem reasonable to trust Him. To be fully engaged in the Christian community and not on the fringes, but to, to, to dive into this group and, and invest in our relationships and spend good time together and make the time for that, even though we're worried about getting hurt, or we've been hurt before, or we're not sure if we'll really like each other if we really get to know each other, or whatever the reasons are, but to say, God, I, I, I've got to be hungry and thirsty and not contented in a self sufficient way. It's not healthy. In the last verse, he says, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Mm. It's an interesting thing to figure out what this means. Isn't it good if we have a good reputation with outsiders? I mean, that's what 1 Timothy 3 verse 7 says. Doesn't this contradict what the Bible says there, 1 Timothy 3, let's just read it actually, 1 Timothy 3 verse 7, talking about uh, an, uh, an overseer, he must have also a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
Let me ask you, how can we reconcile these two things? Woe to you and all people speak well of you, but you've got to have a good reputation with our side. How do we put these together? Well of us. If everyone speaks well of us, we're a 
Jesus at this point is still popular with the crowds, but the day will come when the crowds will call for his crucifixion. That's the reality. So, wrapping up. Wrapping up, as we think about the woes here, I think they're really warnings. They are warnings. They are hopefully helpful warnings. Hopefully they are welcome warnings. Maybe this week is a week to think about in what way can you develop a, a good spiritual hunger? Or even cut out some of the things that are bringing you a false temporary sense of comfort at the expense of depth and compassion for other people. Let's think about that. Perhaps if we're well fed, maybe we need to be a little bit more hungry. Perhaps if we're having a, a, a good amount of merriment in our lives, nothing wrong with that in itself, but perhaps the merriment <clears throat> is our goal rather than a deeper sense of joy that comes with connecting with God with other people. What do we need to think about today? What do we need to think about today <clears throat> that will make sure that we stay, um, we stay hungry, we stay thirsty for the things that are most important? Hopefully these are welcome mornings. So God be the Lord.